Dr. Diane Langberg has this to say in her book, Suffering and the Heart of God. Grief is the result of some kind of death. Death is the unwanted guest in human life. We do not want it. We often fear it. We cannot command it. And we hate our helplessness. Some of us work hard to ignore it. We do not want to talk about it. We work hard so we don't have to face its slow destruction of our physical beings. And yet it relentlessly comes into our lives and the lives of those we love. And she also says this, you cannot live in this world and not grieve to live here and not grieve is to be out of touch with reality. It is a failure to live in the truth. This is episode 34 of untangled faith. On this episode, we pick up where we left off with Kat Wilkins' story, and her husband Colby joins us. He sets the record straight on a few things and gives us more of a glimpse into their painful experience of losing a church home. I look at Colby and I go, things just exploded, and they needed to explode. Colby, what were you thinking? It was a scary moment. Yeah. And yet I knew in my heart of hearts that she was right. Like we could sense it was coming to a boiling point. Just critique, critique, critique without being in the name of love. Like, I love you, brother, and this is why I'm telling you this. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. We jump into this conversation with the Wilkins as we're discussing a conversation that happened on Twitter regarding how we've seen more women than men speak up about spiritual abuse. You know, I saw you chimed in on that thread on Twitter about men not being yeah. as vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, my take on that in this space that I've seen is not so much that the men don't know like the truth, mm-hmm. but that in many cases, they carry more of the burden for the financial burden for their family. Right. And in our case, you don't want to do something that jeopardizes that. And I wonder if that's part of the, like in our case, all the women spoke first. You know, I never signed anything. I wasn't an employee. I can speak. So it's not like, I'm not trying to give it a pass to all guys, but I also want to provide that empathy that says it takes a lot of courage also to love and trust your spouse enough to say, you say whatever's on your heart. Right. I just want to give you that encouragement to say, I did not take your space that you gave Kat to speak as being weak in any way. No, I appreciate that. Certainly, I trust Kat 100% and trust her with the story. And even some of those yeah, backroom conversations that I've relayed to her and kind of my emotional memory of those, even she has explained those well and accurately. But I do also know that, yeah, wrongly, she's getting the blame. There's a, a distribution of blame and that falls a lot on her. 
that is inaccurate. There's a, yeah, this kind of construct of division, even between Kat and I, by the lead pastor. Just recently, he said to somebody, no, no, Colby was not wholeheartedly believing that I was abusive. It was Kat. Mm-hmm. It's like Colby wrote the letter. Colby's the one that resigned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He needs to tell himself that I'm the villain and that my husband was just yeah. being, you know, drug along. And maybe it's about Twitter thread. Yeah. I think my internal world to kind of use Wade Mullen terminology, like my internal world was being dismantled before cats was, and maybe a bit more viciously there's mm-hmm. freedom in speaking the truth and there's a new story. There's a new path that is going to be a breath of fresh air. Colby, what, what does it feel like to hear Kat share your story? And I mean, both of yours story. I am grateful to have a wife who, who gets me, who sees me and who's angered on my behalf and with me and, at the, and for herself as well. Because I think there were a lot of emotions that I didn't allow myself to feel in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That freeze response didn't allow me to, yeah, I didn't allow myself to feel the anger or even the sadness, especially the sadness. And so for her to articulate those things, I'm just grateful, really grateful. The slow processing is something I can really relate to in in our family too. And I think it's really easy for that narrative to be, this is the crazy spouse. And it's an easier narrative to share later. They're choosing their marriage mm-hmm. over the job. Turning, averting the eyes of everyone from the actual harm and the actual yeah. Yeah. You know, lack of integrity. Let's not look at that thing. Let's look at, at their lack of integrity. So when we last met, it was October of 2020. You had had that meeting and, and Kat tried to clarify at the end. Would you say you know, this is what we need to work on. And this is what you need to work on. Did not go well. <laughs> and you went home. What happened then? Because you had another, so like six months ish of thinking through your job. What kind of conversations were you having? What were you feeling? Whatever comes to mind. Immediately after that meeting with the lead pastor and his wife, There was a sense of like, kind of holding our breath. This didn't end how we'd hoped. And yet we, yeah, more for the first time as a couple had raised a red flag. And there's a lay elder in the room, a former elder fly on the wall in the room as well. And they're hearing us voice these concerns. How is this going to change? There was a bit of like disappointment Mm -hmm. for sure. And yet a kind of wait and see now that the truth is out there, now that our concern is out there. There was also just some like not seeing reality there for us too of like, okay, well, wow, they were really struggling. Maybe we weren't seeing it right. Mm -hmm. I looked through some of your notes and it seemed like there was a shift then, at least for a little while of your, your relationship with the lead pastor. Yeah, he, I think self-consciously and admitted later that he backed off and tried to just give space. Yeah. We, we had articulated just hurt about uh, the way that he'd come on so strong about concerns about parenting. And I don't think I realized that he was backing away until he told me that he had backed off. 
the the timeline there was a little bit of a honeymoon period, right? A little bit of like, okay, maybe, yeah, we can do this. It's going to be okay. To then like leading up to that was when, uh, so I want to say right after the new year, but around the new year, I had been wanting to do like a growth group is what they called them. Like for the past two years, I had never really been involved in ministries. And I kind of just wrote it off as like, well, yeah, I had a newborn, like all the talk about me and my counseling stuff as being an asset that hasn't, nothing has happened. And so I was like, I think I'm ready. I want to do a group. It was like, as soon as I started to kind of poke my head up and go, Hey, I'd love to do this group. It was like all the red tape all of a sudden appeared. Okay. (laughs) I wanted to do the unwanted Jay Stringer. It's this really great book about sexual brokenness. And I just wanted to lead it with like four or five or six women. So I started by texting the intern guy who was in charge of groups. And he was like, oh yeah, let me talk to the lead pastor. I'll get back to you. Week goes by. Don't hear back from him. I reach out again. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'll go talk to him. And I'm still at this point going, like I am starting to feel something, like something's happening. I reach out a third time. Like, hey, I really want to start this group really soon. You know, just let me know. And he comes back and goes, hey, yeah. So it turns out that the elders really don't trust the book. Like it's not a CCEF or biblical counseling book. They've never heard of the author. So they, the elders have talked and they've decided they want you to do it as an unofficial group. So it's like not officially connected to the church. I was like, okay. And again, I'm telling myself like, you'd have to, in a church, you have to have a way to vet material, right? So all the things I tell myself, and then I get that green light from him. Like, yeah, you can do it. Just make it an unofficial group. I only invited like 15 to 20 women. Here's the book. Here's, you know, would love for you to join me. Let me know if you're interested. Send out this email. Lead pastor's wife is on the email as well. Within five minutes, Colby gets a call. It's the lead pastor going, hey, just saw your email. I thought we talked about this. I thought we weren't going to do this and you were going to read the book or some, you know, and I fell apart. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I felt like I had been caged for no reason. The intern gave me the runaround so many times. I had to like do this for myself. And then when he sees the email, he calls Colby. When I'm at home, right next to my husband, I was like, the thing is, I was not upset about, you know, they don't trust the book. I mean, they, there's a lot there, but to me, it just felt so manipulative and crafty. It was dehumanizing. Yeah. It just felt like so obvious. Why couldn't he just call me? So what was the explanation to what the problem was if they'd already said that you could do this? Apparently there'd been a miscommunication, you know, all that stuff. And there definitely had been. So we had talked about me reading the book. And so I... I don't know exactly when in the timeline that I was tasked with reading the book, Mm. but I was tasked with reading the book and then giving my thumbs up or thumbs down. Why have my husband read it? Why not have one of the other elders look over it? Because then in the end, they didn't actually trust Colby. When he read it, he was like, yeah, it's a great book. I think essentially Kat was like green lighted by Mm -hmm. one person. And then I'm in the background reading the book. And then she's starting the group. And then it's like, wait, Colby was reading the book. And then the backlash is on me. Like, I thought you were going to read the book first, but it's like, but she was green lighted. So there was a lot of miscommunication for sure. And yet 
Kat was dehumanized in the process. Did you end up doing the class? I did the group. He calls me four to five weeks after and he goes, hey, Kat, right away. I had my guard up. Felt like there was an agenda. So the first thing he says is, hey, a couple things. Um, The first thing was that I was just thinking like you, because of COVID, haven't seen your parents in a long time and they live in Canada. And Kat, that just must be really hard. And I'm sorry. The second thing was that I wanted to ask how that group was going. And I remember, so interesting, like the dissonance in my body. I wanted to be like, oh, thanks. That's really kind. And I think I did say that. But I specifically felt a wall go up in me that was like, just give him the bare bones. And I had really trusted him and been vulnerable with him in the past. So I just was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's it's hard. And, And then I told him about the group. And I definitely felt like I had to give an accounting for kind of how biblical it was. And, you know, I just Mm -hmm. kind of felt like I needed to say what he wanted to hear and told him the things that people were learning. And then he goes, well, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, if people are confessing like sexual struggles or sexual abuse in their past, definitely have them go to the pastors. And I was like, Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think we're good. And then he also said, well, cool. Thanks so much for updating me about all the group stuff. It helps me not be suspicious. He used the word suspicious and truly in the moment I was flabbergasted. So I, right, even after the phone call, I was like, I should, I wish I had just been like, wait, what do you mean suspicious? What are you talking about? But I was speechless. And so I was like, okay. I held on to that for a couple months. And I know that they would say that I just didn't go to him directly like I should have. And later when I confronted him about it in the very end, He raised his voice and said, we are a biblical counseling church, Cat." Some of you are wondering what is going on here? What's biblical counseling? Why would Cat have a problem with that? And I'm so glad you asked. I don't have time to go into all the intricacies of biblical counseling, but I'll do my best to lay out the basic premise. The International Association of Biblical Counselors deny that counseling theories and practices that aren't based on the special revelation of the Bible is useful in counseling. They say that biblical counselors are not to use these. They deny that the counselor can use any system of counseling that uses secular sources, even if they also use the Bible. So many counselors that I know who happen to be Christian have a problem with the biblical counseling model because they have seen the value of wisdom and techniques developed through research that helps their clients. And to be a part of the International Association of Biblical Counselors, they would not be allowed to use these tools because they don't come from scripture. So that's just one of the issues that some people have with biblical counseling. But I also want to mention that this conversation and issue is particularly troublesome because the lead pastor knew from the beginning that Kat was not trained to be a biblical counselor. And yet he affirmed her and her work. And now he's saying something that seems very much contradictory. I didn't know this. Colby didn't know this. I actually literally have never heard that. I didn't know that's what we were. And you knew that I wasn't a biblical counselor in that in the CCF way of, he said that to me. And then he also said, it was not you we were suspicious of. It was the book. We were actually expressing a lot of trust in you and letting you do that group. The switch was like, it went from parenting previously to then it became about our marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there had been an ongoing conversation just about work hours. When I first arrived to the church, 
the senior pastor or lead pastor had said, I really want to do block hours, you know, just knock hours out, you know, like maybe take a morning off and do afternoon and evening. There's kind of flex hours, flex schedule. And so he mentioned that to me pretty, pretty soon after. He's like, I don't know if we can do that for you. It kind of boiled over in terms of Kat's own work. She's a licensed therapist and is seeing clients. And at that point was seeing clients two nights a week. And so I'd get home from work and then she'd go to the office. We had had a couple of conversations where he was like, so is like ice cat schedule going to change or how are you feeling about that? I think there were like one or two times that I can recall where he was like, Hey, we, we need to go see this couple. And I was like, I, I'm watching the kids tonight and I, I can't unless I get a babysitter. And that had happened. Yeah. Two, maybe three times. And it was just kind of stacking up in his mind. Like there's a lack of flexibility here. At some point in the new year, we just, after a Wednesday evening gathering, we were going to have an elder meeting and one of the elders was out of town. And so me and the lead pastor and one lay elder, we're just going to meet. And he's like, ah, you know, instead of having the meeting, we're just going to go get a drink. I was like, oh, great. Let's, let's hang a nice kind of refreshing break. And so we go and, and we're around a dinner table and uh, a lay elder just says, he's a good friend of mine who was a good friend. (laughs) It's like, Colby, how do you think things are going? At that point, I kind of realized, oh gosh, this isn't just like we're canceling an elder meeting and we're going to hang. Like there's, there was an agenda here. I sensed that, but I try to just answer the question honestly. And then lead pastor butts in and just says like kind of interested, like, oh, that's interesting. Um, Cause I just would have thought you would have answered differently. And then goes on to talk about how there's a lack of flexibility in my work hours and raises this concern um, that I am not as available and how that's putting a lot of strain and stress on him. At one point I'm kind of sensing like, wait, is this, is this about like my work hours or is this about my work ethic? And cause if it's about my work ethic, like guys, I, I am working really hard. And there was a clarification like, no, 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 no. It's not about your work ethic. Very quickly. It's like, we, yeah, like you have said multiple times that Kat, once she gets licensed as a therapist, that there will be more flexibility. And at some point in the conversation, it just switches. Um, and he m- maybe just feels like defenseless or something. Cause he, he turns to me and says, well, Colby, you know, we've talked about hiring a third pastor. And when, when he arrives, it's going to be so obvious to everyone that he works harder than you. But he just, he'd already said it wasn't about your work ethic. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which was so baffling just to sit there and be like, this is not what this was about. Like there's a, there's a flexibility issue in y'all's mind. And, and so I was just articulating like, if you need a certain amount of flexibility, write that into my job description. Like we took this job with her as a counselor and like, and I've, I've expressed multiple times, like she's in training and there's a bit of a push to the finish line for her to get all the hours in the allotted time. There was just this impatience, but then that comment came flying at me. And in the moment, I think I froze and I was like, guys, I, I thought I, 
I said, like we said that it wasn't about my work ethic. And, and so on the, the drive home, we're all sitting in the car. I just returned to that comment. And I was like, when you said the third pastor is going to be obvious that he works harder than me. Like that was hurtful. His, his response to me was, I knew that was a risky comment. This comment by the lead pastor in response to Colby is terrible. Colby was the one who took an actual risk by sharing how the lead pastor's comments had hurt him. And the lead pastor twisted it around to make it seem that the lead pastor had done something particularly heroic. Responding to someone sincerely telling you that your words have hurt them the way that this lead pastor did looks nothing like how we see Jesus respond to the hurting. In Wade Mullen's book, Something's Not Right, Decoding the Hidden Tactics of Abuse, and freeing yourself from its power, he says this, If charms are designed to create a false sense of trust with the victim, dismantling tactics are designed to destroy the victim's external and internal worlds, keeping them in the web of abuse the abuser has spun. Dismantling tactics are, most clearly, attempts to control a targeted person through actions involving intimidation, humiliation, and outright violence to produce feelings of fear and shame. Think of the intimidating roar of a lion. If you've ever heard a lion's roar up close, you know the fear it can produce. That fear, both in the case of the lion and in cases of abuse, keeps us frozen and unable to escape the danger or even call for help. What were you supposed to do with that? Yeah, it was, Colby, you need to lead your home. And part of leading your home is is leading the kind of schedule and the schedule that will enable you to be the kind of pastor that we want you to be, that we haven't ever expressed in a job description or what would have been a helpful tool in a job description was coming at us instead in the form of frustration. I remember having this thought, like if they're expecting him to be flexible and available 24 seven, then I don't want that. That's not good for our family. In his books on emotionally healthy leaders and emotionally healthy churches, Peter Scazzaro says that a hallmark of an emotionally healthy leader is understanding the limits God has given them. And one of the limits is your season of life, your marital status. He argues that our calling as married or single people frames how we can serve. It's a great book. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. Because I was like, Colby, we could get a babysitter every Tuesday night when I work. Like, what if we just had a week? You know, there are th- like, there's so many more ways to approach it. Like, hey, Colby, I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to like consider getting childcare some of those evenings, if you'd have someone kind of on the rotation, just so that if something comes up. An interesting thing that's happened since we left is that we've heard that they have all these deacons now and all the deacons are taking over a lot of the stuff Colby used to do. And, and this person said, everyone's realizing just how much Colby was carrying all the time. There was a night at church. He was, you know, one or 2 AM. He's at the church because a pipe burst in the middle of the night. So, yeah. And that was my job. I was doing it. It was too it was much. honestly, lot, And for... it was too much, but we were joyfully just, well, this is what it's like. Was that end of 2020, beginning of 2021? Early months of 2021. And then in April, tell me about that, giving you some space. How did that come about? What happened? Yeah. So I'm at the office and lead pastor walks in, closes the door and sits down and just tells me that he has heard some, some things about Kat that are concerning, lists out four things. Turns out 
we never actually heard who the people were. The only person who then came out about it was his own wife. On our bookshelf is the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. In this book, he talks about one of the first dysfunctions being the absence of trust and that the best way to kickstart building that trust is by having a leader go first in being vulnerable and in creating an environment that doesn't penalize vulnerability. I can't help but notice that this is absent here. In a relationship where you felt safe and valued, getting feedback like that would be very different than feeling not trusted already. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're, ra- you're raising these concerns and I'm supposed to like go back to Kat and, and list them off and let her know. And I was like, no, like these people need to talk to her. It would have been so helpful if you had turned those people around that had come to you and just like they can go to Kat and they can, there can be restoration. And, and yet you're putting me in this weird position. And he's like, Colby, I need to be able to tell you these things about your wife. Like you're a pastor here on staff. And if there's a concern, like I need to be able to tell you, like, Sure, but you also um, need to help model like healthy peacemaking and encourage them to talk directly to her. And for someone who really weaponized Matthew 18 against us at the end, he was not doing it at all whatsoever. He actually called Colby's brother at this time about those specific concerns about me under the guise of seeking advice. Yeah. What happened after that time? There was some pushback to having those people go directly to cat. But then Lee pastor's own wife went to cat. I think it was the very next day. The conversation went well and. Yeah, it was great. So I was like, this is how it should be. If people have questions about things, cause I don't have anything to hide. It would have been a couple of days later that Lee pastor circled back with me in a similar fashion, you know, comes into my office, closes the door and sits down and, the comment that really stuck was, and it was pretty early in the conversation, was that Colby Cat needs to be led. I'd taken a lot, but at that point, I just was like, she is being led. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I think we have very different ideas of what it means to like be the head of the house. He he sensed a defensiveness in me because he's like, okay, well, we need to bring the other elders in. You know, this is a qualification for elder. You need to be able to manage your household, and so he starts texting the other elders. Thankfully, I'd already had some open conversation with with one of the elders just about, yeah, ways that I was feeling really condemned and, yeah, just beat up. And and he knew that uh, based on my relationship with the lead pastor. And when he was trying to get this meeting going, thankfully, one of them called the lead pastor immediately and he steps out, takes the call. And then comes back in and was like, oh, I had no idea you'd had this conversation already with one of the elders. And I'm happy about that. That's great. Kind of in a bewildering, like, uh, what did he say to you? And I was like, yes, this has been really hard. Yeah, just feeling condemned by you. And so I would appreciate some space here. And I think the elder on the phone had, had said something like, I don't think this is a good time to have this conversation. With and so he... Yeah, I think tried to, in the moment, say, okay, acknowledge that there was going to be some space. It would have been like a Thursday or Friday. Okay, so he gives Colby space. For a couple days. A couple days. <laughs> and he then, only made it to Sunday evening. Sunday evening happened. And you know what he did? Rather than go to Colby, he went to me. Mm-hmm. 
one of the only times he ever actually went to me for something big. It was usually going to Colby about me. (laughs) Right. This time he's triangulating with me and he comes up to me after a members meeting. So we're in the church main hall. People are milling around. He comes up to me. He goes, Hey, how are you? And I break down. I start weeping. I just go, we're not well. We're not okay. And he's kind of like, well, what's going on? And I specifically said a couple of different times through the conversation, I just think we probably should talk about this somewhere else and at a different time. And he would kind of nod and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe this isn't the right time to talk about it. But then he would keep asking questions. Like he just could not let it go. Well, he said, I know Colby's asked for space, but space isn't always a good thing. It's ironic to me that the lead pastor would go to Kat with this rather than to Colby, when just recently the lead pastor had told Colby that he needed to be leading Kat. And I came right back and said, yeah, you're right, but we need you to trust us that we're doing this in a way that's faithful. So then Colby comes over and he's like asking the question, the senior pastor is like, so what's the issue? Like what's going on? He knew. Why is he asking us this? Colby goes, kind of leans in and he says, just the same as you already know, like feeling condemned. And then I go, yeah, it feels like Colby is your emotional punching bag. His eyes got big, his face got red. And he said, well, Colby, we had this meeting in October. You know, we all agreed that you need to stop taking things so personally. And I said, no, at the end of that meeting, I asked you, would it be fair? Right? So I to bring up that specific comment that you need to work on this and Colby needs to work on this. And you said, no, I said, and, and you also use the word suspicious, right? His eyes get big, his face gets red. He goes, we were talking about the book. We are a biblical counseling church cat. And we were actually expressing trust in you. So we were actually really trusting you. And I said, I didn't know that about the biblical counseling thing. I think he said, he thought I was saying it about Uh, We were expressing trust in you. And right around that time, he kind of spun on his heels, walked off. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It's so ingrained, like seared into my memory. I look at Colby and I go, things just exploded and they needed to explode. Colby, what were you thinking? It was a scary moment. Yeah. And yet I knew in my heart of hearts that she was right. Like we could sense it was coming to a boiling point. Just critique, critique, critique without being in the name of love, like, I love you, brother. And this is why I'm telling you this. It's like, oh man, this is so backwards. Doesn't really look like love. Right. He, his personality is one that's very confrontive. And so he talks about love in confrontational terms a lot. Like, you know, we're all very used to loving in these other ways, but let's not forget about this this kind of love, mm-hmm. the rebuke and confrontation and calling people, uh, keeping people accountable. Yeah. It was a very unbalanced kind of love. So you, you ripped the bandaid off right there. I would imagine for a slow processor, mm-hmm. you have this like, I love her and oh crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We shared that conversation with a guy who knows narcissism pretty well and is kind of a mentor of ours. And he, he got this big smile on his face. He's like, I just love that what you did there, you made him speechless. And narcissists aren't usually speechless. All the ways he'd been making you guys feel for so long, you were turning it on him. 
And even if he wasn't able to admit it or see it, there was this moment where his nervous system started to go, oh, this is what it feels like to be on the end of this. And he could not hack it. One of the main things that healthy teams establish pretty early on is trust. I'm looking at like this two years of you guys struggling. You wanted to be trusted and you wanted to be able to trust. Mm-hmm. And that trust was going nowhere. Yeah. Was there any hope as you left the building that day that this could be resolved and that you were going to stay? You can answer. Well, I just I remember in the parking lot grabbing that elder, the one who was our good friend, and saying, Hey, and I'm kind of shaking and crying and saying, This just happened. And I remember telling him, you can't do this alone. Like you can't see it clearly. Begged him. I mean, truly begged. And that was the, not even the first, but uh, one instance of many where we begged for a mediator, trained, neutral. Like you weren't asking for somebody to be on your team. You were asking for somebody outside of the situation to come in and help you figure out how to have a healthy working relationship. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah. That's right. So then we know, we find out that they meet that night. I'm thinking he's the elder chair. He actually has influence here and he's seen things and he's told us he's seen things. So this is the hope. This is where I was hopeful is that maybe he can keep this guy accountable. And so yeah. they meet that night. We aren't there. The next day, because we heard nothing. Colby's out of town. He had to drive to a conference that night. So that was also weird. I call this guy, this elder, who's a good friend of mine. I was like, hey, just wanted to check in. Like, what was it like when you met with him? And his voice turned and he was cold and distant. And he goes, did I ever use those words? Oh my, it was like my whole system just felt, oh crap. You are going to back away like in October. And that was it. I mean, we that started the cycle of meeting with lay elders alone with their wives a lot of gaslighting, a lot of accusing, then the meeting with the senior pastor. And somehow, even though we were blamed for everything at the very end of the meeting, the lay elders and some of their wives started to take responsibility. Like, well, maybe we're playing a part in this too. The lay elders invited us um, on a Tuesday night. So that was Sunday is when that meeting happened. And then on a Tuesday night, they invited us to come and they said, make a list of your concerns and we want to hear. And we just want it. That's a safe place. Like you can say things wrong. And like, I know you're hurting. We just want to come alongside you guys because you're hurting. It's like, oh, okay. So we were really hopeful. And then we got there and started to go through this list of concerns. And one of the other, like the other layout, there was like, whoa, 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 kind of stopping us as we're going through it. It wasn't at that meeting, but the following week, he was like, you, we asked you to make a list, but Colby, you should have had the wisdom to not make a list. Because we were starting to kind of list, well, here's comments we've heard around kind of subtle things that are, that kind of suggest that other people have had similar experiences. That was when I begged, 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 begged for a mediator. And they said, whoa, that's going to be real. That's really escalating things. And I said to them in very strong words, you are risking traumatizing either the lead pastor and his wife or us if you don't.
We see the mosaic of grief so clearly in this account, the denial, anger, bargaining, and depression. All of these components are there. The Wilkins account reads like a slow but inevitable death. Telling the story gives us a chance to do a post-mortem. We see where it's going from this vantage point, and they can see the signs now that weren't so clear then. Getting to that point of sadness and depression is a pivotal moment. Diane Langberg says this is the darkest place in the grieving process because hope for the preferred outcome is gone. In April of 2019, my husband Nathan and I found ourselves in that place. We shared about it in episode 19. We were at the end of the road. All of the ways we had envisioned Nathan being able to continue at his job were gone. And we sat together in our family room that night. No one saying anything until finally my voice broke as I broke the silence and said, I don't want you to have to leave. And that was, of course, our acknowledgement that it was over. In that moment, we felt nothing but sadness. How does this episode resonate with you? Do you have a situation where you found yourself at the end with no hope? Are you currently stubbornly planting yourself in bargaining? Are you counting the episodes until I'm done talking about grief? Well, if you are, I'll let you in on a secret. We only have two episodes left this season. Thanks for listening. I'm putting together a separate episode that has the Wilkins story from beginning to end all together. What I have so far has been put together and shared with my Patreon community. So if you are interested in hearing that and learning more, you can visit patreon.com slash untangled faith. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much if you could leave a review on your podcast app and share a link to your favorite episodes with your friends. I'll see you back here next week with the conclusion of Kat and Colby Wilkins' story. And I also share more of my conversation with Emily Snook. I'll see you next week.